0: We're in our series here, second week of our series here, on the life of Moses uh, from Exodus. And I'm excited about the lessons that we've been learning. We had a great start last week, and um, I'm excited about what we're going to be learning about this man of God and how God worked in his life, how God used him. And when we think of Moses, many of us probably think of him as a hero. We think of the, the great things that Moses did, like leading the Israelites out of Egypt, and into the promised land. You see, they think about the party of the Red Sea, or maybe even striking the rock and water comes out, or manna in the wilderness, all these incredible signs that we, saw Mo- that we see Moses do. But Moses was also very much human. And he struggled with doubts and insecurities about himself, just as we all do at times. And in fact, today we're going to be reading a passage, which seems, from what the Moses that we think about, it seems a little more out of character. Where Moses tried to excuse himself. He tried to make excuses to God to avoid what God was calling him to do. So today our message is called Excuses from Exodus chapter 3 and chapter 4. And we're all, if we're honest, we're all prone to make excuses at times. I was reminded of this rather recently. Um, Some of you know, my, my family and I were on vacation a little over a week ago, we were in the New England area. We had a great time. We were seeing lots of great um, and interesting places, really beautiful area up there in New England. We were in Newport, Rhode Island, in Massachusetts. One of the places we visited in Massachusetts is the town of Concord. Um, And Concord is very historic. It has this really neat little street area, a little main street area with several shops and some restaurants. And so my family, we we decided we went into this little shop, and a little stationery shop. And the first thing that caught my eye when I walked in there was this bag that you see on the screen. It says pickleball, and so uh, I was I was, I kind of chuckled to myself, and I was, I was thinking about how, of course, pickleball is sweeping across the nation, and is becoming the, the fastest growing sport in America, uh, and I uh, was thinking about how we've, we've been doing it here at the church, and I was here one week, and it was so much fun, um, but then I, uh, I kept walking into the store a little bit further, and then I saw these pens. Right here, I don't know if you can see the, the, the one of them. I guess they're sort of like inspirational pens, or I, I don't know if you can draw inspiration from a, from a pen or not. But one of them, the little green one there, says, excuses, excuses, excuses. <laughs> and so, we as preachers, we're, we're always looking for sermon illustrations. So this is why I was like, this has got to be, this is a sermon illustration in the making. And so, it's very true, Absolutely. So I, was, I later thought about how I've been invited to come out for Pickleball, Brother Lomax can testify to this. I've been, I, I did come one time, but the last couple of weeks, man, I've just had excuses for not coming out. <laughs> I, had a, I had a family friend who came out and visited, um, and we, had, we were getting ready to go on vacation, and this past week, things were really busy, it was pouring down rain, and so I'm reminded I make excuses. <laughs> I've made excuses, but I'm planning to come back. You guys are all witnesses now. <laughs> I will be back. Um, it's a good time. Uh, really excited about how God has been using that ministry to reach more and more people. But in a similar way, if we're all honest, we all, we all make excuses, and many of them are legitimate things, just like my excuses for not coming out for pickleball. However, the danger comes when God has called us to something. And we start to make excuses as to why we can't obey him. As followers of Jesus, God has a will and a plan for our lives. Much of what God wills for us to do is revealed within his word. Things like showing kindness to others and showing love, being truthful and living in a holy and pure manner, sharing the gospel with others. These are things that are right in God's word that God has called all of us to do. Then there's some specific questions. Things about our lives. Things that we're, we're all wrestle with and thinking through. Things like, what career should I pursue? Or things like questions about marriage. Should you, should you get married? Who should you marry? Where should you live? So many more questions. And these are those things that we walk in step with God's Spirit. We follow in accordance with His Word. We seek godly counsel and wisdom from the Lord and from others. Just a few thoughts on kind of what God's will is. But sometimes we we may act like Moses and we attempt to make excuses to not obey what God has called us to do. And so as we look at this passage today, I want us to remember that Jesus is all-sufficient and that he is is sufficient to enable us to do all that God has called us to do. To overcome our excuses, God desires for us to remember certain truths about him. So our question today that we're considering is what truths about God challenge the excuses we make for failing to obey God's will? In this text, we're going to see five excuses, but I want us to focus also on there's three specific truths that we're going to learn from God's responses to Moses' excuses. So the first truth that we're going to see in our passage today is that as we seek to obey God's will, we can trust that God's presence and power are with us, no matter how we perceive ourselves. So we're in Exodus chapter 3, and uh, we're fast-forwarding a little bit. I'll just give you a little bit of background as to where we are in Moses' life. Um, Moses is now in adulthood. He has left Egypt. If you're familiar with the story, Moses, while he was in Egypt, Uh, had killed an Egyptian who was brutally beating some of the Jewish slaves and he killed him buried him in the sand it was found out that that Moses had killed this Egyptian and so he fled for his life he's now in Midian where he has married um, Zipporah, one of the daughters of Jethro and we find him in this scene taking care of his father-in-law's sheep he's now a shepherd Um, and and in this scene God appears to Moses through a burning bush. A bush that is burning, but not consumed. And here's what God says to Moses. He gives this call to Moses, what he's asking him to do. We're going to begin our our study in verse uh, verse 9 of chapter 3. And it says, And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me. And I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come. I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. This is God speaking to Moses. And we see that God has heard the cries of his people. He knows their pain and their sufferings. He means to bring it to an end. He has a good plan for his people to bring them back into the promised land. But here's the part that seems to intimidate Moses. We go back to verse 10. He says, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Moses is the answer to the cries of God's people. God is sending him. And Moses, this is where Moses gives his first excuse. Excuse number one, who am I? Moses says to God in verse 11, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh And bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. But Moses, this seems to—it's a respectful reply to the Lord. But he's like, "Who me? I'm the one who's going to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful ruler in the world, the king of Egypt, and ask for him to deliver the people from from uh, the people of Israel. I'm the one." One commentator, Peter, ends, he suggested that Moses actually would have expected God to be the deliverer of his people. And so he's protesting God's call for him to be the deliverer. He seems surprised. He's like, I'm the deliverer? Why is this going on me, Lord? This is, you're the deliverer of God's people. You are the Savior. But look at what God says here in verse 12. He says, but I will be with you. And this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. God says to Moses, I will be with you. And that makes all the difference. And he promises Moses that after the Israelites have left Egypt, that they will all serve the Lord on the mountain where Moses is tending sheep. And Moses can look back at that promise and know that God has called him to this work. It's interesting that it is, a, it is a, a, a future-looking promise. It's a look ahead to here's, here's where, you, when you are here, you will, you will know. This is the sign that God has called you. I think it's important for us to remember that anything that God has called us to do, He will be with us in it. As God's people, we have God's Spirit in us. His presence is with us to guide us and direct us. We have his presence and his power We be enabled to do all that he has called us to do. And I just think that's it's such an encouragement to me. To know that when I'm, when I'm out serving the Lord, I'm doing, if, I, if I'm doing what God has called me to do, I know God is with me in it. Right there, every step of the way. I love uh, this. There's a passage that we're, in which... We read that Jesus has commissioned all of us to be those who make disciples of the nations. This is the, the Great Commission. And I love when you read in the Great Commission, not only do we read about evangelism, baptizing, and teaching others, but we read this promise at the end of verse 20. Let's look there together. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, to the end of the age. So Jesus promised to be with his disciples and with all of us who are now going to make disciples and fulfill the great commission in the world. The presence of Jesus will be with us, protecting us, empowering us to do the work that he's called us to do. And just as Moses was not on his own to deliver the Israelites, so we're not on our own in the mission of making disciples. And just as God was the ultimate deliverer of the Israelites, so God is the one who saves souls. And we are simply the ones to go and declare the message of God's love to the world. I'm so thankful that, that, I, that someone's salvation does not depend on me saving them. It is Jesus who does the saving. But yet he's with us, helping us, protecting us, enabling us to do what he's called us to do because his presence, his power are with us. I think it's kind of similar to being the person who's teaching someone how to drive. How many of you ever, have you ever taught somebody how to drive? I see, a few, I see some hands going up. Nah, this is not, I have not done this yet, so I, I don't know your pain yet. I know it from the, I know it from the side of being the student. And I, I know it caused my parents much, much stress and, and pain in those days. Uh, and so I'm very grateful to my parents for, for sticking with me on that. I was, I'm the youngest of three, so I was the third one. So I was round three of teaching everybody how to drive. So I don't know if that makes it better or worse. I'm looking at my mom. I don't know. But, <laughs> um, but I remember one time, uh, my mom took me out to a parking lot at Perry Hall High School. Pretty safe, pretty safe place. No cars there, which was good. Um, I think it was either my first or second time driving and I, was, I felt like I was doing pretty well. I was, just, you know, I, was going, I was going forward and I think I was going backward okay and then it came time to make a turn and I turned left and I went right up onto the curb. <laughs> and uh, fortunately again there was no damage to the car but what was even sadder about it was that I couldn't get off the curb. So my mom graciously got in the car, we swapped places, she got the car off the curb. And so I was so grateful for that. My mom was there to protect and to guide, her presence there with me helped me. And so I know by law my mom had to be there, but if she wasn't I would have been in a real mess, right? (laughs) As a brand new driver potentially wreaking havoc on this parking lot. (laughs) And so I, I was very grateful for my mom's presence there to get me out of the mess that I was creating. The same is true, I think, for the presence of God. Where God's presence is with us as we seek to walk with him, and in his spirit, he guides us and directs us. He's our Heavenly Father who loves us and protects us. He forgives us, and delivers us in our time of need. God is always there for us. That's the, the beauty of His presence and power with us as His followers. Now, I want us to see, we're going to look at another of Moses' objections. He goes through objection number one on who am I, to objection number two, question, excuse number two, who is God? What is His name? Let's look in verse 13. He's answering questions, potential questions he thinks he's going to get from the Israelite people. Verse 13, Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? Moses thinks that the people of Israel may be wondering about the name of God. Who has spoken to Moses? Moses. One commentator, Douglas Stewart, he contends perhaps the Israelites, there was some confusion over God's name, living in a polytheistic society, and being in Egypt maybe they had forgotten what God's name was. And so God answers Moses' question in this really powerful way, revealing his name. Look in verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you God also said to Moses say this to the people of Israel the Lord the God of your fathers the God of Abraham God of Isaac and the God of Jacob has sent me to you this is my name forever and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations verse 16 uh, the, other, the previous verse there, well, we see God's name. He says, that I am who I am. This name seems to et- support the eternality and power of God. Well, the Commentator Douglas Stewart notes that this could be translated, I cause to be. He further writes that this, the name should thus be understood as referring to Yahweh's being the creator and sustainer of all that exists And thus the Lord of both creation and history. All that is and all that is happening. A God active and present in historical affairs. God is present. He is powerful. He intervenes in the affairs of men. All throughout time. This is very much the story of scripture. Is how God has worked throughout history. How God has intervened. In the affairs of men, but also God is our Creator. I was talking the other night with a young man who was at our, our volleyball ministry, who was interested in astronomy. He was telling me about this, um, and he was playing a little game on his on his phone while we were sitting on the bench while volleyball was going on. And he was he was play, he was trying to get a rocket up to Mars in the game. So I was talking to him a little bit about just the vastness of the universe and the vastness of all that God has created. And yet God loves each of us. He knows each of us. He's incredibly powerful. God sustains this whole universe. But yet he loves each of us. I think this is, just, this is the wonder of the gospel to me. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 5, we'll go ahead a couple of slides through. He says, For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows his love for us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Bible teaches that every person is a sinner. We are all in the same boat. We are all people who are broken. We have all committed acts and had thoughts, done things that were against God and His Word. We have all sinned. But God is completely holy. He can't tolerate sin. So we were separated from God. We were destined for an eternity apart from Him in hell. But just as we read in Romans 5, the wonder of the gospel is that God showed His love for us when we were the people who were far from him. We were the people who didn't want anything to do with him. And he reached out. He sent his son, his perfect son Jesus, to die on the cross, to bear our sins, shedding his blood on the cross, taking the punishment that should have been ours. But Jesus didn't stay buried. He rose from the dead. Conquering death, hell, hell, the grave, he's conquered them forever. And he offers salvation for anyone who repent of their sins and place their trust in his death, burial, and resurrection as the means by which we can be forgiven of our sins and have eternal life with him. This is the wonder of the gospel. May we never lose sight of its beauty and its grandeur, of what God has done for all of us. And if you've trusted in Jesus, you know about the transforming power of the gospel. You've experienced it. And it's only because of the gospel that we're able to walk in obedience to God and live in light of his presence and power, no matter how we perceive ourselves. And so there's points of application. What has God been calling you to do in your life? Have you been making excuses? Maybe there's a friend or a coworker who needs to hear the gospel. Maybe there's someone you, you need to call or text who needs encouragement. Maybe there's some sin that that God has been speaking to you about that you need to confess and and turn over to Him or to go to that person that maybe you've wronged. Seek forgiveness. Maybe you've been putting those things off, laying those things aside, waiting. Maybe you have a fractured relationship that needs to be mended or maybe you've been struggling with your time of devotions with the Lord and being faithful. I want to encourage us to remember that God is with us. And whatever the things he's called you to do, to remember that we can trust him to take care of the consequences. I love what Charles Stanley always used to say. He would say, obey God and leave all the consequences to him. Because that's living life at its very best. Remember that God is all-powerful and he will enable you to do whatever he's called you to do for his honor and his glory. we've seen how God's presence and power have been were with Moses God was promising that to him and and how Moses he didn't perceive himself well for the task ahead but God was challenging that those excuses now I want us to see the second truth from our passage and that's that as we seek to obey God's will we can trust that God is sovereign and truthful no matter how others perceive us and how God has been at work. Look in verse 1 of chapter 4 of Exodus. Then Moses answered, But behold, they, that's the Israelites, will not believe me or listen to my voice, for they will say, The Lord did not appear to you. Here we come to excuse number 3 from Moses, where he says, Others are not going to believe what I say about God and his work. Moses is, once again, he's concerned about the opinions of the Israelites. He doubts whether the Israelites will believe him. He thinks the Israelites are going to doubt that God sent him. Perhaps um, Moses is thinking that he, he, what, he, what he currently knows about God is just, not going to convince the Israelites. He knows that, that God's going to be with him. He knows God's name. But maybe he's like, yeah, that's not enough. Maybe he feels like he needs a little bit more support. And so God responds and gives Moses three signs that show his sovereignty over all of these circumstances. We'll look at these briefly. Uh, Exodus chapter, uh, verse, verses 2-5, through five. we see the first one. The Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff. And he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses ran from it. But the Lord said to Moses, Put out your hand and catch it by the tail. So he put out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. So this, this sign is Moses just simply drops his staff, and it becomes a snake. Peter ends commentary. He notes that this is not necessarily the most impressive sign. It's just using something ordinary, and then it turns into a snake. It wasn't something super miraculous. But the snake could be a sign of Egyptian royal authority. And so as Moses grabs the snake from the tail, he's showing that that God has authority over the Egyptians through Moses. That God is the Lord of all, and he has spoken and appeared to Moses. God is sovereign. He is in control. He has authority over the kings. We see our second sign, verses 6 and 7, chapter 4. Again, the Lord said to him, put your hand inside your cloak. Moses puts his hand inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. Then God said, put your hand back inside your cloak. So he put his hand back inside his cloak, and when he took it out, behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. This is the sign of of leprosy, which was a very significant thing to the Israelite people. You had to go off and and seclude yourself uh, for a... A time until you were healed. Leprosy covers a, a, a wide range of diseases, uh, skin diseases in the Old Testament. Uh, so they're not all what we would know as Hansen's disease today. But in this miracle, God is showing his authority over disease. Which, as you continue on in the book of Exodus and you read about the ten plagues, many of those are diseases and things that are inflicted upon the Egyptians. Again, God is sovereign. Verses 8 and 9, we see the third sign. If they will not believe you, God said, or listen to the first sign, they may believe the latter sign. If they will not believe even these two signs or listen to your voice, you shall take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. And the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. The last sign is turning water to blood which shows God's power over creation, over the elements, over the Nile River, which was the lifeblood of the Egyptian empire. And later on, we read, when, when this does happen as one of the 10 plagues, how it upsets life in Egypt. These miracles, again, they remind us that God is sovereign and that his word is true. I love the way Isaiah 40 describes God. This is becoming one of my favorite passages of scripture in verse 25 to whom then will you compare me that i should be like him says the holy one lift up your eyes on high and see who created these he who brings out their host by number calling them all by name by the greatness of his might and because he is strong in power not one is missing verse 28 have you not known have you not heard the Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. These passages, they're just so, they're so beautiful. The reminder that the Lord is the everlasting God. He has existed from all of eternity, and He will exist forever. He put the stars in the sky, He calls them all by name. There's no one to whom we can compare God. He is all-sovereign. He's the creator of the ends of the earth. And in these signs, we see that God is also paving a way for those that would doubt Moses. God is taking care of their unbelief. And Moses would deal with different opponents throughout his, his ministry, his time serving the Israelite people and serving the Lord. But God was working through that too, showing his sovereignty and truthfulness over the doubts and the challenges of other people. Maybe you've had individuals who have doubted things about your life and what God has called you to be and to do, and maybe you have maybe you gave up something significant or valuable to follow God's will for your life. Maybe it was a job or a relationship, or maybe you've had friends or family who have Challenged you and have made you feel like Have caused you, caused, have placed doubts Tried to cast doubts on you Or maybe they thought that you were crazy For following after Jesus And leaving the way that you had lived before Maybe you've had people in school who have mocked you Or have tried to cast doubts on what you believe And maybe some of those voices have tempted you To be quiet about your faith Have, t- have tempted you to to uh, to have doubts, or to make excuses for not obeying God and fulfilling His will for you. But I want to encourage you today that God's Word stands up for itself. His Word has stood up for thousands of years. We know that it will continue to stand because God continues to stand. God's Word does not fail because He does not fail. He's sovereign over all. He's truthful in all things. So if there if there's individuals there that cast doubts on you I and mean, what God's doing and in in what he's called you to do, his work in your life, remember God's faith. His word is true. Remain faithful to his calling. I read a story this week that really challenged me, encouraged me. It was about a young man who had some people cast doubt on his calling for his life. It was a young man by the name of William Borden. He lived in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. He was born into a very wealthy family. And when he was 16 years old, his parents provided him the opportunity to have a grand tour of the world. And so he travels throughout the different continents, in Asia and Africa and Europe. But he looks at the world a little differently than your average 16-year-old. He looks at the suffering and the, the people in pain and the poverty. And it moved him. He wrote home while he was traveling, wrote back to his parents saying that he had a desire to become a missionary. He had a friend who believed that Borden was just throwing himself away as a missionary. Borden, he was known for writing a little bit. He wrote these two words in the back of his Bible. He wrote the words, no reserves. No reserves. He was going to be faithful to what God had called him to do. In 1905, Borden, after finishing his tour, he goes off to Yale University. And his, he had this deep faith in Jesus, which greatly impacted the students around him, starting Bible study groups and prayer groups. He would also care for widows and orphans in the New Haven, Connecticut area and, and alcoholics. He even founded a mission to help alcoholics. And the mission was called the Yale Hope Mission. While during his time at Yale, Gordon felt called of God to go to the Muslim Kansu people in China as a missionary. So this became his mission and his goal as he continued to follow the Lord's calling on his life. He was offered jobs that would pay well, but he turned down these offers, believing that God had called him to be a missionary and he stay stayed on mission to what God had given him to do. And again, he wrote these two words in the back of his Bible. No retreats. He's not backing off from what God had called him to do. Borden goes off to Princeton. Studies his, he finishes graduate studies there. After he finished, he gets on a boat to sail to China to minister to the Muslim Kansu people. While en route to China, he decides to stop in Egypt to learn Arabic as he's ministering to the Muslim people. But he never made it to China. He came down with spinal, spinal meningitis while he was in Egypt and died one month, less than one month later at the age of 25. After Borden's passing, the, the uh, news traveled home. It was in the newspapers. It was found that he'd written two more words in the back of his Bible that said, no regrets. Borden had big dreams for the kingdom of God. God used his 25 years on earth to impact many lives. But I, I got to admit, I mean, when I look at that, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me sometimes. Here's a man called of God, ready to serve. But I think we see from Borden's own words no reserves, no retreats, no regrets he trusted in God's sovereignty and fruitfulness. that's why he could say those things And when we obey God and let him take care of the consequences we don't have any room for regrets no matter how our lives may twist and turn and we know what God's called us to do we don't have any reason to make excuses we know God is sovereign he's true So we've seen how we can trust in God's presence and power as we we seek to obey God's will. And we've seen how we can trust in His sovereignty and His truthfulness. Now I want us to see how we can trust in God's provision. Truth number three. As we seek to obey God's will, we can trust in God's provision no matter how we perceive the task that's in front of us. After these signs from the Lord and the assurance of God's presence with him as he goes before Pharaoh, Moses still seems to have some doubts. He's still making, he's got a couple more excuses to make. Look in chapter 4, verse 10. But Moses said to the Lord, O oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant, but I am slow of speech and of tongue. This is excuse number 4. I have insufficient abilities. Moses seems to cite his, his inability to speak, which we're a little uncertain as to why he says this. Um, Moses would have been in the, the house of Pharaoh, so perhaps trained in public speaking. Um, maybe he's just lacking in confidence. He's been away from Egypt for many, many years, um, and he's contending that he's like, I can't do this. the the septuagint the greek translation of the old testament seems to get maybe a little interpretive and think that maybe moses has a stuttering problem we don't know for sure Um, peter n suggests that maybe moses felt uncomfortable speaking in egyptian he's been there so long or he lacked confidence in his diplomatic skills or maybe moses was just intimidated intimidated to go before pharaoh the most powerful ruler in the world and then he's going to ask Pharaoh to release the Israelites, their, their enslaved labor force. But God's response is to remind Moses, again, of his power and creation. Look at verse 11. Then the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Who makes mute, or deaf, or seeing, or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with your mouth, and teach you What you shall speak. We're reminded that God says here he will enable Moses to speak and he's going to teach Moses all that he needs to say. Can't ask for much more, right? I love how. Jesus makes a similar promise to his disciples, as they would face persecution for the sake of the gospel. Look at Matthew chapter 10, starting verse 18. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake, to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak, or what you are to say. For what you are to say will be given to you in that hour, for it is not you who speak but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. I love this. This is such an encouraging reminder. Because I don't don't know about you, but there are many times I I feel inadequate to do what what God has called me to do. I look at my my own abilities and I'm like, I don't know. But when we feel completely inadequate to obey what God has called us to do, God provides. When we face challenges to the gospel or in sharing the gospel, we can trust, this is, just as right here, Jesus says that, they, that God's spirit would speak through you. We can trust that God will give us the words to say in those moments. I remember even some times where I'd go and share the gospel with students on campus. Uh, I remember one occasion we were reflecting, trying to remember what we had talked about with the student. And I remember... Um, you know, just remembering, like, what did, what did we say? And it was like, well, here's what, what God had given us the words to say. God had given us those words. God calls us and equips us, He gives us the resources to do all that He asks us to do. I think that's part of what we see in the New Testament with the idea of spiritual giftings, how God puts people together gives people spiritual gifts to do the work that he's called us to do as a church, serving one another together, serving the Lord. Now we come to the last excuse that Moses has. And we see how God will provide in this. And Moses simply says, excuse number five, please send someone else. God's answered all these different objections, and Moses still says, I don't want to go send someone else verse 14 we read or verse 13 he said the Lord says or Moses says please send someone else verse 14 then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said is there not Aaron your brother I know that he can speak well Behold, he's coming out to meet you, and when he sees you, he will be glad in his heart. Verse 15, you shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth, and I will be with your mouth and with his mouth and will teach you both what to do. He shall speak for you to the people, and he shall be your mouth, and you shall be as God to him, and take in your hand this staff, With which you shall do the signs." It's interesting I think that we see that God was angry at Moses when when he said send somebody else. But we also see that God is so merciful and gracious to Moses too. I don't know about you but if I've been if I've been talking to the Lord for a while and I and like you're in this theophany experience maybe you maybe you don't feel like you can make another one another excuse. But probably in my own personal life that's what I often do as well but God provides Moses' brother Aaron to go and speak for him Moses and Aaron will go together and lead God's people out of Egypt together God will equip both of them for the task it was initially to be for Moses and God still places Moses in authority over Aaron and influence and I think that's what, that, that's what that means when he says, you shall be as God to him, verse 16. Um, that, that, that Moses uh, will be that, have that authority over Aaron. That's some points of application, though. Is there something that God has called you to do, but you felt reluctant to obey? Maybe you feel ill-equipped, inadequate. Maybe you're unsure of how to share your faith with someone, or maybe you feel like you can't do what you used to do or that, that God can't use you anymore. Maybe, you, maybe God has called you to trust Him in some area with your finances. Or maybe trusting Him in some area with a challenging task on your job. And God has called us all to be faithful. to our, In ministry, in work, in our families. And I want to encourage you. You're still here. God has a purpose for all of us. And he's still equipping all of us, no matter where we are in our lives. He's equipping all of us to do what he's called us to do and to be who God has called us to be. He's given us his spirit to guide us and to lead us. The Holy Spirit, the scripture tells us, prays for us and Jesus prays for us. God gives us wisdom from his word. And I'm so thankful, as we saw here when God provides Aaron for Moses, I'm so thankful for so many people that God brings into all of our lives to guide us and to give us wisdom and help as we navigate the many twists and turns of this life. But remember that God is always faithful, and we can trust in Him. Always faithful. That's why we can be obedient to the Lord. And we have no greater example of obedience than our Lord Jesus Christ, who went to the cross willingly for us. We read in the scriptures how Jesus had prayed to his Father before the crucifixion asking for the cup of suffering to pass for him. But then he also prayed, Lord, Father, your will be done, not mine. Jesus submitted to the Father's will and didn't make any excuses. And today, as a church, we remember that sacrifice in the Lord's Supper. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul writes about this ordinance that we're observing today. He states, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks... today we have two elements in our our, uh, our our in our communion that's the bread and the juice to remember Jesus atoning sacrifice for us the bread represents the body of the Lord Jesus which was broken for us as we before we partake take a moment and thank the Lord for all that he has done for you scripture says without the shedding of blood there was no remission of sins. Take a moment, reflect on your your walk with the Lord. And remember all that He has done for you. Lord, I thank you for your faithfulness to us. We thank you for dying on the cross for us. Thank you for that nothing held you back. And you were willingly broken for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Take the bread together. We have the second element, which is the juice, which represents the blood of Jesus. Jesus said, this is the new covenant of my blood. We do this in remembrance of the Lord. Again, as I said, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. Jesus died so that we might be forgiven and have eternal life. Take a moment together to pray. Take a moment individually to thank the Lord for all that he's done for you. For shedding his blood for you. the cup together. Lord, we thank you that your love reached down to us. Broken sinners, people who needed you, people who were in desperate need of you. We thank you that you shed your blood, nothing held you back. And that you offer forgiveness fully and freely to us as we trust in you. We thank you for all these things. We pray this in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.